0: For October 17th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 746. The Angela Lansbury EGOT case and what's messed up about it. Hey, welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we are hanging out together and uh, talking over the things that interest us, the things that, that that capture our attention. The things capture our attention, and then we capture each other's attention with uh, witty banter uh, and being raconteurs. I'm Matt Rather, and uh, with me is Pete Fenzel. Pete, how many hands...
1: How many hands? What? In this podcast. <laughs> it's a two-hander. Oh, there you go. I thought it was a reference to something I was missing.
0: So. No. No, it was a reference to something you got. It just maybe wasn't wasn't a very good reference, Pete. It's delightful to uh, it's delightful to speak with you, uh, you know, and to to record the podcast with you. Now that you're back from parental leave, and will never ever miss a <laughs> podcast ever again, and are done with the job of parenting. Uh, so that's uh, you know, It's funny
1: because both my kids are asleep at the same time, which doesn't necessarily really happen all that often. So it is a, it is a profound feeling of relief but not one I expect to last for particularly long. <laughs> it may not even last the full length of this recording session. We shall see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I you know I am planning my wedding uh, along with my fiance and uh my the interactions we've had with our parents um l- lead me to realize that you know you're never done <laughs> with the act <laughs> of, of of parenting. <laughs> no, I am in my 40s and uh and really Pete we're never done parenting them, parenting our parents. You know, that's uh, a a thing. Maybe it's just the boomer generation that, that, that needs that. I'm sure we'll be completely different and we'll be <laughs> reasonable and uh, easy to get along with when we are. Uh, Does uh, the name our-
1: Anchises mean anything to you, Matt? <laughs> um, Pete, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, speaking- I like how we can just afford to let that reference go.
0: <laughs> on a different on a different podcast <laughs> that would be the rest of the podcast
1: yeah. <laughs> but not this one we're going to keep on moving
0: so we uh uh we lost uh, actually we lost uh, uh someone and and uh an elder statesperson uh of mm. the stage and screen this week we lost angela lansbury who had a, a good long run uh, 96 years young when when she passed and i'd like um, I'd like to share a tweet from overthinking a podcast mascot, Harvey Firestein, uh, about Angela Lansbury. The tweet goes like this. Angela Lansbury, she, my darlings, was everything. And everything is in all caps. Uh, so, uh, she, my darlings, was everything is what, uh, is what Harvey had to, had to say about that. Uh, I'll, I. Uh, Pete, do you mind if I, do you mind if I jump in first here? Cause I've, no, I have something means. to say about this. When I was in, when I was in acting school and boy, you know, boy, could I do a, a tangent about drama school. Um, I had a professor who was a professor of, of directing and boy, could I do a, a tangent about professors of directing, but, uh, uh, he said something that, that has stuck with me. Um, about the community, about the, the community of theater actors, especially, um, in a sort of a youth obsessed and sort of a beauty obsessed, uh, industry for completely fathomable reasons, right? One thing that's unique about the theater community is that we honor our elders. And when somebody, you know, when somebody, the stature of Angela Lansbury goes like, it's, you know, it's clear that it's, it's clear that it's a moment, you know, it's clear that a moment passes when, you know, when, uh, you know, one hopes it's not for, for, uh, a while, but when, uh, uh, Dame Judi Dench, uh, passes, you know, takes her final curtain call or, uh, or Dame Maggie Smith, you know, um, it's going to be, it's going to be an, an, an event. And like, we sort of, we, Recognize and we value these people, um, in the community, partly because we understand that it is like a vicious game of survivor (laughs) to, uh, to just last in, in the entertainment, uh, industry. Like, uh, it's, it's rough, man. It's, it is not, uh, it is not easy and it is not to be undertaken trivially. Um, aside from just, uh, you know, the normal, um, Uh, uh, what to call them vicissitudes of, of aging. And, uh, someone said getting old is not for sissies. And, uh, there, there are the, you know, extremely, um, the, the additional ones are the kind of extremities that are, that are forced upon people who, who stay in, um, who stay in entertainment. Uh, Betty White, whom we lost, uh, recently, like, you know, you sort of see that and see how she, what, what must it have taken to kind of maintain her, uh, you know, kind of cheery charisma, uh, well into, uh, you know, well into her old age. So, um, you know, I don't know. We, we sort of, and I think that there's something like, I, I think of the overthinking it community as being, uh, being kind of adjacent to the, to the acting community that we actually try to appreciate them, uh, as laborers in a way. And our, our, uh, our, phrase actors who work sort of gestures at this. And so I don't know, it's it seems fitting that we might we might uh, take a moment and uh you know, and honor our honor our elder uh as she passes, you know. Um was she uh, uh was she an important actor to you, Pete?
1: I would say in certain ways, yes. Uh-huh. I'm not the biggest fan in just the sense that I just didn't happen upon a huge amount of her work over the years other than of course that she made a lot of work. So I'm not going to necessarily say that I have a great handle on what makes her style unique, uh, what, you know, how she managed to be such a fixture for so long. Mm. I think that uh, one of the things that maybe affects the theater with this regard is the culture of what discipleship, I suppose, how Mm. people learn from each other by watching each other and you have personal relationships with the people who came before you and Uh, I mean, this was maybe my own perception of it and the improv side of things that a lot of it is who did you watch and who are you imitating? And that is a person that you might actually see in real life, as opposed to the sort of influences that you might deal with in other sorts of fields where they're very removed from you. And Angela Lansbury, of course, stage actress with a ton of TV and film credit, but I think maintained a lot of the cachet of a stage actress. Throughout time, right, uh, and uh, even maybe more so than some of her comparable uh, contemporaries. Um, sure. Like I, th- I definitely think of like like Dame Maggie Smith, right? Is is a sort of comparable figure if not like greater figure especially in terms of her more recent stuff and sort of film and tv and the cultural impression that it's made but uh you know i'm sure she was amazing on stage but i've never seen her on stage in anything i've only seen her in tv and movies and stuff and Mm -hmm. still i'm like wow amazing right Uh, but angela lansbury i saw a bunch of films oh Pete, can i can
0: i tell you where I saw Maggie Smith on stage. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. For I sure. saw
0: Maggie Smith play Lady Bracknell in The Importance of Being Earnest. Oh, that's
1: right. You told me about this after you
0: saw it. That just sounds so perfect. It was glorious. Uh-huh. Uh, it was glorious. Now, she was chewing, I mean, like the scenery was in splinters. Pete, when, when she was done, these like, these elaborate takes of like rolling her eyes and stuff. But it was completely appropriate in context, you know, of right. the, the, that particular, that particular production with, um, as Algernon, uh, uh, Richard E. Grant, who was uh, also perfect. Um, but sorry, sorry, but yes, um, Maggie Smith mostly most likely to see her in man, like like theater is hard, you know. It is astonishing to me that Angela Lansbury did a play, uh, ten years ago in 2012, which would have been like at the age of 86. It you is had
1: to do like Tech Week at 86.
0: It is hard, Oof. like yeah. it is difficult uh yeah so uh sorry pete i didn't mean to uh derail you derail you too much but um it is i i just like it it highlights the point that you're trying to make which is that like you you start to see people more do tv and movies because it can be done uh slightly less you know slightly less as a manual laborer you know Mm -hmm. um and that uh that uh uh but the people who maintain the cachet of being, you know, accomplished uh, theater performers are um are interesting because slightly rare.
1: Yeah. And I think so what my particular Angela Lansbury relationship is and I, how I would characterize it I think in terms of the presence that she has for me as like a cultural figure and as a as a sort of um a symbol, you know, because because as you know, making herself an actor, putting herself in all these stories her visage carries meaning, uh, you know, variety of different meanings in different situations above and beyond, you know, any sort of personal understanding I might have of, of kind of who she, who she was or, um, what she liked or any of that stuff. So, um, Angela Lansbury was old for a long time. Um, she was, I mean, murder she wrote right is starts at 84 bed knobs and broomsticks is like what? 71. Yeah. Um, She's born in 1925, so in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, she is 56 years old. So not that old. Uh, I say now, <laughs> right? Like that's not that old. Now, now I don't think it's that old, right? But by the time Murder She Wrote rolls around, she's like almost she's almost 60. So like comparable to Tom Cruise's age, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, but then when you by the time you get to Beauty of the Beast, which is of course you know what I knew her from more than anything uh that's 91 she is uh she's not quite 70 so she's like 66 um uh, but but even when she was if you think about Angela Lansbury when she was 60 versus like Tom Cruise when he was 60 i'm not going to say something as trite as she aged gracefully because that's not the point i think the point is that in the various kind of uh pre-medical characterizations of the stages of life You know the things like in Shakespeare or like in Hindu, uh, uh, Hinduism, where it's like in this part of your life you do this, in this part of your life you do this. The the part where you are a magistrate, the part where you wear pantaloons, right, and so on and so forth. There's a point where, uh, you know, you you get older, and of course, a lot of movie stars these days are all about resisting that point for as much as possible. But also, there's a, a characterization of being the older person um that uh that people kind of can step into some small number of people can step into and that's the person that they play and i felt like angela lansbury was that person exclusively throughout the uh late 80s and 90s when i you know saw her in stuff whether it was on tv or whether you know her voice saying mrs potts who seemed uh she was was she chip's mother in beauty and the beast i don't think so was she her is she his grandmother? I don't really know. I don't know what their relationship the was. The relationship I, between Mrs. Potts and Chip,
0: it seemed in the live
1: action remake
0: when it was Emma Thompson it seemed more, you know, it seemed like she was uh uh his mother, but yeah, it's it you know when you think about the ages and and stuff it it uh it becomes um truly ambiguous, Pete.
1: Yeah. But the point is that Angela Lansbury embraced dressing and performing a certain way she embraced, you know, how she performed her femininity and, and sort of presented herself. How she, uh, what's the word I'm, I guess, presented as. How she, how she served Angela Lansbury realness. I will say, right. Like so, when I, if I were to say serving Angela Lansbury realness, that could mean a lot of different things. But at that point in my life, it meant, you know, a cardigan right? It meant that you had that sort of short hair that was a little bit curly and quaffed in a very specific way that you expected to see in a Ponderosa, right? Like it, it meant that you were embracing being a, a pre women's lib to say it woman who had sort of lived through that era and was still, well, she had of course seen everything and done everything and all that stuff, uh, was, was sort of part of the older generation. Right. And, uh, and there was no fighting back against it. There was no effort on her part, as far as I could tell, or anxiety, as far as I can tell, to try to be 20 or 30 again in any of her performances. Uh, and then I saw a video of her when she was younger. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Um, Right? You know, like in the 40s. Right, <laughs> right sure. <laughs> when she was in, like, an all-time notable movie that is still discussed to this day, uh, Gaslight, of course, a movie that is uh, – Uh, I bet Angela Lansbury didn't think that we would be using that word on on an hourly basis uh, (laughs) at the time of her death at, like, 99 or whatever it was. (laughs) But uh, the movie that she did when she was 19. But if you look – Angela Lansbury is similar to Betty White in that if you look at pictures of her when she was younger – I mean, you know, she's – let me rephrase that because I'm being very silly. I just realized how silly I'm being and I'm betraying what I'm trying to say. Angela Ansbury is like literally everyone, which is that when you look at pictures of them when they were younger, they were younger, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> but that, um, but that these actresses in particular, and I, I think it's probably different for actors because the standards are different, and, and the double standards are different, and the triple standards are different, and all that. But, uh, but, but she was, uh, she looked like a starlet, uh-huh. right? Like she looked. I mean, she's beautiful. I, I'd say that Angela Ansbury was always beautiful, mm. even up until you know. When she was like, you know, shock white hair, like the old IMF head doing like, you know, songs on stage with like 90 year old Steven Sondheim and whatnot. Right. Like I'd say that Angela Lansbury always had a beauty about her. Um, but I but when she was younger, she was more beautiful in a young way than I ever would have expected. Mm-hmm. And this is this is framing it from the perspective of me being like 15. Right. Right. Like we're or, or younger. I think I think maybe the first time. So an interesting, an interesting juxtaposition is that I, I remember, I think I saw her in the Pirates of Penzance, which was when she, which was when she was older. It's like, and it's like, uh, it's like, uh, Murder, She Wrote era, but it had more whimsy to it than like Bedknobs and Broomsticks, which is significantly earlier. And you sort of get the sense that there was this young person that she also was. Mm-hmm. And, and there are so many ways that I want to narrativize that to make it a more comfortable idea than it is. Even a sadder one. You know, like the sort of uh, the, the sort of Phoebus, the Phoenician sailor with the pearls for his eyes kind of attitude or like the, you know, the Yates, like, why should old men be? Why should not old men be mad? Right. Like we all get older. Everyone used to be beautiful. Right. Um, and that that also shortchanges it <laughs> because, uh, you know, being being alive and being young uh, is not a condition that it merely exists to precede being old and being angry uh, or sad. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was a mind blowing thing, which is in retrospect, of course, a strange thing to say. And anybody could point at that and say that I'm being terribly obvious. Uh, and, uh, I don't, I don't know where you are, dear listener in your life right now, the degree of strangeness or not strangeness that that is, you know, Angela Lansbury dying makes me think of, you know, when, when overthinking it really kind of leaned into obituaries, which was like, you know, uh, Patrick Swayze, Michael Jackson, Farrah Fawcett, of course the Paul Walker era, you know, like these these people who seem to go a little bit before their time, or in Paul Walker like a lot before their time, who who sort of meant a bunch, but also, you know, people sort of in the earlier era of social media kind of begrudged them mattering because supposedly, oh, they're not your you're not your family. Why do you care? Why do you care that Patrick Swayze died? Right? Why do you care? And uh And of course, as you said, within the theater, you care because you know them, uh, because they're a real person. And in the movies, it's like, well, this person is an abstraction. But the point is that um, the point of the point of it is like uh, you sort of we lost those people at a time when I could still. Well, let me rephrase. We lost those people and had those people at times when I remembered them when they were in the sort of full power of their youth, even if it was before I was necessarily around, it was still in the time of say color video, right? Like it was still in the time of color television. Uh, It was still in the time of movies I might've watched, uh, even if they came out a little bit earlier. And, And, and there's this sort of like this sort of powerful feeling of, there was this great thing that sort of cries out to be acknowledged of the sort of grand work of this person. And, And with Angela Lansbury, it's sort of like she did that. Mm. She had all that before I even had any idea who she was. Mm -hmm. And and I don't have any frame of reference, really, other than I mean, I've seen her in some stuff, but I don't feel connected to it at all. Like she had a whole life before I came around. And uh, and and the sense of that person having first, of course, changed and grown and aged uh, in the way that she appeared to others, of course, cause she's a performer as well as presumably to herself. Cause don't we all, um, it, it, it sort of, it definitely pulls apart a little bit the feeling of, you know, uh, of loss because it's, it's not like, oh, I don't know who I lost cause I don't know who she was, but I don't know who a lot of people are. You know, and, and I'm just looking at this picture of her in 1950 that's on her stage and screen Wikipedia page as this sort of bright eyed. And it's funny because her skin is the same quality you get from an Instagram filter and it's entirely analog <laughs> and mostly chemical. Well, it's done by,
0: yeah, it's done by Vaseline. It's done by means of Vaseline. Yes,
1: <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> Nowadays, people are so shallow as opposed to then when they were buried an inch deep in, in petroleum. Shipping. Right. There are <laughs> They were literally three dimensional back then, <laughs> but but yeah, I guess it's just that um that 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 was a real mind blower for me to see Angela Lansbury when she was young because nobody had ever seemed to never have been young as much as her at the time, and of course i she 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 was still around and she heard that she'd probably be terribly offended, but maybe she wouldn't. She's got a lot of class, um, but uh. But yeah, it's interesting. But uh, that,
0: that is really, that's an interesting thing, right? Because you think, you think of some people as kind of growing into themselves, you know, or some, some people as sort of, and, and uh, what you're describing, maybe another way to put what you're describing is she seems to have kind of fully inhabited herself. At many different stages of life. Yes, you yes, know, yes. and well, that,
1: I mean, as an artist, I don't know how she was personally. Right. Yeah. I'm sure, who, she was a horrible drunkard who was mean to the help. No, I'm sure she was super nice. I'm sure she was nice. She was, was, the she was
0: like an avowed socialist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have no idea. So you know more about the woman than I do. I just know about the murder <laughs> that she wrote. They. Uh, uh, <laughs> I.
0: I. I mean, at least my my understanding of her biography, her early biography, is that her. Uh, in her father's ancestry, there were like um, uh, socialists and like leaders of the Labour Party. And then uh, I, she's Irish through her mother um, and that they, they fled the Blitz and came to came to Hollywood in the 40s, which is when, uh, uh, you know, which is when this kind of ingenue um, career you know career started as as a teenager because she was she ever like
1: like blackballed or under threat or anything like that
0: no i don't think it's like that i don't i i think it's not i I think she was not a like an american communist i think she was a you know i think she was a continental socialist or or british socialist which which of course it can
1: mean any like any number of like 150 different political parties that all existed at different times in different places right being like a European socialist.
0: Yeah, man. Parliamentary yeah. systems are, uh, are just really hard to, to wrap your head around. <laughs> as Even American. harder
1: than aging is the concept of multi-party parliamentary democracy. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. Yes. Um, so, so obviously she would be very nice to the help. She's well,
0: uh, yeah, it's the funny. Help. Like, um,
1: the- she was the teapot. Of course, <laughs> of course she would be nice. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, uh, but that there is, there is something, there is something, there is something to that, to the idea of kind of like fully, you know, fully inhabiting yourself at different, uh, fully inhabiting yourself at, at, at different times. And, and I don't know, there, there was, she kind of brought an iconic quality to different to herself at different times whether it was like middle age in sweeney todd or you know uh, early old age in um uh in beauty and the beast right uh it's or the kind of the the space between in in you know in the murder that the murder that she wrote and i mean that uh the um and and she wrote so many murders she murder over and over, <laughs> over and over and over again backwards
1: so, a bunch of times in the Stanley Kubrick movie you might have seen that was actually her believe it or not, <laughs> there
0: were, there Red Rub she wrote two hundred sixty four <laughs> episodes of uh of murder she wrote twelve um twelve seasons you know back back when they were doing like uh, what twenty five episodes a season no not quite. But slight, only slightly under that, maybe 21 or 22 or 23 episodes, uh, episodes a season. Imagine all of those, all of those accidental deaths. Who, who wouldn't be traumatized by, (laughs) you know, being around that much death and dying? She
1: got through the blitz as a child.
0: She's (laughs) fine. She she made it through, she made it through Sweeney Todd, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. one of the yeah one of the mo- one of the bloodiest broadway
1: shows um she made it through anyone can whistle which i have a ton of respect for <laughs> <laughs>
0: um and uh and yeah didn't i mean i i am not aware of of her having kids who went into into entertainment um but
1: uh you i'm not know, aware of her having kids does she have children
0: her wikipedia page oh, says wow. that, that uh says that she has children, but that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I was going to, uh, I was ma- going to make a joke about Ascanius, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a, I don't know. I don't, I, 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 guess I just don't have the material though, though her children would be well on in years at this point, I think. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, do you, do you have uh do you have a favorite was murder? She wrote sort of a part of your, a part of your life. No, no,
1: no. It was it was a thing that was on TV that I saw commercials for all the time that Uh I knew existed. But it wasn't uh, watching my kids. One of the things that blows my mind constantly is just the things that don't occur to them that occur to me didn't occur to me either. To to unpack that a little bit, it's like, you know, it never occurred to me that it was weird that I watched commercials for Murder, She Wrote constantly for like 10 years and never watched the show. (laughs) Like, like, like as an adult, I probably at some point would have been like, I should watch that show or not. I should have some sort of opinion of it. Maybe, I don't know whether that's a product of, of the age or my age, uh-huh. where I don't even really, I didn't really have an opinion of Murder, She Wrote. It was just a fixture like the ocean, right? It was just a thing that existed in my world, right? Like, uh, like I, I, don't, I don't have a, uh, I watched The Golden Girls. I didn't watch Murder, She Wrote. Um, but yeah, I, I, for me, I mean, I mean, I guess for me is that she was a fixture. She was in Beauty and the Beast. And then I found out that she had done a bunch of musical theater at around the time in life where I was doing a bunch of musical theater. And Mm -hmm. then it was interesting because it's sort of like it does feel like a secret society when you sort of realize that, especially uh, in the early days, I think when it was I'm not going to say it was harder, but sure, it was harder. I think it was harder to get like video recordings of stage shows Mm, mm -hmm. from broadway and the west end and stuff yes like yeah and and i so every once in a while you would get to see something you know a teacher would bring it in and you would get to watch it and it would sort of it would feel like you were getting away with something and then you would see people that you had seen in other places who seemed relatively minor uh in the sort of place of their ultimate strength you know and uh you know, and I, thinking and talking about about Angela Lansbury has me also thinking about Bernadette Peters, mm. who I think occupies a similar space in my mind, despite, of course, not really being the same sort of performer. Uh, but uh, but it's similar in that, if you got a video of Bernadette Peters doing Broadway uh-huh. when you when it was like ninety seven, sure. That was a big deal, and you would be amazed, right? It would be much better than than what you would have necessarily expected. There was a um,
0: there was a um, a recording of Into the Woods that was available, I think, on yes. laser on laserdisc yes, or yes. something, and that was the that was the main one that that I was aware of, yeah. uh, at least. And it's totally, I don't know, it's, it's totally different being a, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like you say, you say something really interesting. Like you see someone who's, who's, um, uh, who you know as kind of a minor person from, from film and television in the place of their ultimate power. And it is, it is true, kind of amazing amazingly how people who just don't come across on TV or don't come across on camera quite as much can like, you know, just walk down stage center and, you know, pull the, the, the power of the universe in like through their, uh, through their pores and project it out, uh, you know, somehow, somehow through singing. And I feel like, I feel like Bernadette Peters was, uh, you know, was that, um, uh was that definitely i saw her do um uh mama rose in the in the 2000s and it was like it was, it was kind of kind of that, that that sort of breakdown she has at the end during rose's turn like it was kind of scary actually to, to see it. And like, I'm, I'm, you know, amazed that I amazed that I got to, got to see it, but like murder, she wrote was like law and order a lot, a lot before law and order was, was law and order. And there isn't, there isn't, um, you know, I don't know. It's, there were crime shows before, but I think there's something about the, uh, about the procedural that is, I think there's something about the procedural that's in this show. That's, that's interesting. Like one is that she's, um, You know the 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 just the relentless death and dying. The core every day, every day she opens the door, she opens the closet, and a corpse falls out of the closet, (laughs) thunk onto the fly. I just wanted to go to the pantry. I just wanted to go to the pantry to get some to get some 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 you know crackers, some oyster crackers for my clam chowder that I make as a resident of Maine. And and yet uh and yet there are corpses everywhere. The the other thing that I think was interesting and like one of the um I, I, I. I like television shows as a child, the ones that I was aware of, the ones that I would just kind of watch, even sort of uncomprehendingly watch. Um I liked ones that g- gave a sense of an orderly universe, you know, cause I, I had a family that was a little crazy and like, you know, uh, affected by divorce and affected by, uh, you know, some big personalities <laughs> everywhere. And, uh, uh, I liked, I liked the television shows that gave me this, the, the, the sense of an orderly universe. And, uh, Murder She Wrote was, was one of them. And I think I identified with it. I think I connected with it. Like it's not a show that, I, I, you know, as a teenager or an adult, I would, I would seek out, but I think like, when it was on uh in the 80s and early 90s and i was younger i would i i would connect with it um you know because her character was uh was widowed and uh i was being raised largely by a single mother and that there was something about that like where where her authority uh made sense with me and something also about her experience of being um discounted right by by people with official positions of power by not you know by like uh by being told to kind of stay in her lane or 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 stay in her place um i don't know there was something about that that made sense to that that just that uh rhymed with my experience enough to uh that rhymed with my experience enough to um i don't know make uh, make make the show uh seem seem uh, comfortable, you know, to or to seem like something that I that I understood uh understood naturally. And and yet I couldn't, you know, I couldn't call to mind, Pete, a single plot of, you know, uh a single plot. Like uh let me let me make up a plot now. You know, uh Angela Lansbury's character, uh the the murder novelist, is going on vacation in the Poconos, right? and uh she's up in she's up in the poconos and all you have
1: to bring is your love of everything beautiful mount airy lodge yep (laughs) right and that's the uh, commercial that would have played during murder she wrote on WPIX in new york for the for the place in the poconos they wanted you to go to that's that's wonderful
0: except uh it might have been working at cross purposes to the show because uh, someone someone there's a there's a a uh, fellow guest who chokes to death in the dining room of the what? of the of the hotel and uh, and and she's in uh,
1: Maine, right? Yes, yeah. I want to ask why she go to vacation on the Poconos if she's in Maine. But who wouldn't? Who wouldn't love to go to the Poconos? Never you know, mind. Continue. You know that
0: you know you know. I have no idea of the of the <laughs> geography of your yes. of your. So the distance
1: thing. the the tra- the distance between uh, where she lived in Maine and the Poconos is like. The distance between like San Francisco and L.A., but the travel time is like the travel time between your house and the Chinese theater. I think is probably because you got to get on the four hundred five to La Brea, then you got to go across, and it's going to be jammed. Pete, the four hundred
0: five and La Brea run parallel to each other. That's that's why uh,
1: it's so difficult. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: theoretically impossible to arrive at your at your (laughs) destination.
1: Yeah. Can you tell I did model UN? I was just making that up. I don't know any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Continue with your fictional murder no, I mean, what? I
0: that's you know, I don't know. And then the then what, the sheriff, the like the local sheriff of the Poconos comes. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, starts to do an investigation and she says, well, excuse me, sheriff, but I, I think you might, uh, uh, this is the Poconos. You go write your little mystery stories. This is, <laughs> you know, we don't, we, mm, Poconos. nose. I don't know why, uh, the sheriff, uh, in this story is, is Billy Bob Thornton from Sling Blade, but. <laughs> That's uh, that's just how I mean, talks. it's
1: obviously going to be played by a cowboy actor because there were like a bazillion of them at the time who were still alive. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be somebody who was on Gunsmoke like uh, five times. It's gonna be it's gonna be Leonardo DiCaprio's character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's gonna play the <laughs> sheriff of the Poconos in Murder, She Wrote. <laughs>
0: Oh, Leo, uh, you have a you still Leo, you still have a a certain charm about you, even though you're you're, you know, nearly as old as Tom Cruise now.
1: (laughs) uh, Who's 85, believe it or not, still jumping and still base jumping. And uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is 184 uh, and yet only dates 23 year olds still (laughs) only dates 23 year olds. Chip, I'll tell you when you're older. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> uh uh tale as old as time, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, um Tail <laughs> tail as old as Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> um I yes, and then it's uh, you know, and and then it's uh it's it's um Wrapped up and I, you know, I don't know that the, like my gloss on, on murder mysteries are that they are, uh, they're an allegory of reading, you know, they're kind of an allegory of, of hermeneutics because there's a, you know, a set of symbols, um, that, that has to be read in the correct way, you know, that, that has to be, um, sort of put together to, to create meaning, um, and that's uh that's that's kind of what happens over and over and over and it's like do you do you notice the right things and do you do you do you interpret the right things and it's a it's always a kind of a little allegory of like a, a child acquiring reading or something like that because like you're shown by the you know you're shown with great patience by the the uh, experienced person who's Angela Lansbury um Right. Like how you uh, mistook certain or how you missed certain things and how you mistook the ones that that you did see. And yet it actually says, you know, I don't know, the cat in the hat comes back or something. And that's how you, uh, you know, that's how you that's how you learn. That's how you learn the skill. Murder, she wrote and murder. I read.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's great. That it great. I mean, so you like the show, is what you're saying. And I did. I, I totally, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. It, it it belonged. It it was a. Yeah, it was a kind of more a comfort. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Than 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 anything. And I think of like like current current procedurals. I don't know. Like if I do do you watch police procedurals, Peter? Do you not do you not find it a genre that you. Uh, or not even police procedurals. There are, there, there's a whole new set of Dick Wolf pr- procedurals on NBC that have, you know, set in Chicago that helpfully just have like, you know, the name of a profession in the title. <laughs> it's just like med, yes, <laughs> you know, yes.
1: PD. Is that like FBI? And then it's Fire. Like- cpa (laughs) like (laughs) chicago cpa
0: oh man the cpa universe is great cpa miami is the best because they're (laughs) they're laundering money they're laundering (laughs) a lot of drug money you know it's uh it's not like it was in the days of tony montana but still you know it's a whole uh uh it's it's an exciting thing
1: i mean i watched the shield of course with everybody i'm just thinking about what police shows i've watched a lot of or I guess when you say procedurals, and that's where you carry out the procedure of completing. Yeah, I guess like yeah. what I, what
0: I mean like is is highly formulaic. Yeah, uh, highly formulaic shows. Now I I know you like highly formulaic shows because you are yes. a fan of Guy's Grocery Games.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. In which the formula is dictated for you by Guy Fieri as he lists each individual ingredient that you have to use, including Cheese Whiz when you make your foie gras or whatever. Yes. So I love Guy's Grocery Games. Yes, I love formulaic shows. I like, uh, I like Strange New Worlds a lot, and that's a pretty formulaic show. Um, I sort of turn back towards more space procedural stuff yeah. Pro- if you got a problem yo i'll solve it side plot with bashir and and uh o'brien in the holodeck <laughs> right? like, <it's> that- <laughs> i like stuff like that i mean i guess i'm trying to think i, I i've well, never well I'm yeah gonna... well
0: while well, well, quark and garrick resolve it you know?
1: exactly there we go there we go yeah so it's like uh yeah if you got a problem yo i'll solve it odo side plot quark and garrick resolve it right <laughs> Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely much more sci fi. Just that's just sort of what I've been used to over the years and my habits. Um, I was never really an NYPD blue guy. Uh, It just wasn't my thing. And um, there's only so many times I could get away with watching TV at seven o'clock. And I saved those for next generation whenever I could. Uh, cause dinner was usually pretty late and, uh, sit and
0: and, as a family. yeah, And, and my PT blue g- uh, growing up in my household, was it was, eight a, or nine little, nine it was eight a little yeah. too blue in my household uh, yeah. <laughs> for the, you know, like I, I think it was on once. And my, uh, my, um, uh, my mother saw Dennis Fran's butt, uh, yes. you know, and you think of all the butts that you could see on television, but she said all the, uh, she saw Dennis Fran's butt. She was like, Oh. They get pretty racy here in the nine o'clock hour.
1: <laughs> it was nine o'clock. That's right. That was like or ten o'clock. ER. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. So I, I guess I never really watched a lot of Law and Order. I never really watched. Well, when I think of Murder She Wrote, I think of it as a sister show to Columbo or Matlock. Sure. Um, oh, because because similarly they are outsider procedurals, I suppose. I mean, I mean, I guess Matlock is an attorney, so he's he's a member of the bar. Right, <laughs> I suppose, but like that, like the there's a contrast between the main fixer upper and like the uh, the the people that you would generally expect to do this job, and it's not one of sort of aggressive angst or like sleeping with their coworkers, right? It's like the it's sort of a s- smart it's like smart misfit kind of show. Um, I suppose, where there's just something where you don't – maybe it's really about the professionalization that was taking place at the time of of uh, the knowledge economy, as it were, and the idea that you had to go hand in hand if you were to be smart and to do these kinds of jobs. You also had to embrace certain sorts of cultural norms and certain sorts of social and, and economic status symboling, uh-huh. and, and it's sort of like everyday people – or also smart, who are not fancy, and they can also solve crimes, right? Like uh, it doesn't have to, or they can also try cases, right? Uh, I was just watching the second episode of She-Hulk. When we get done with that show, we'll probably talk about it. And there's there's a cut to, I think, an exterior shot of L.A. and that sort of string, that sort of ascending string chord that uh, that reminds me so much of uh, of L.A. Law and shows like it. Um, you know that like these are these are not just like. Problems being solved, but they're being solved by fancy people and you're watching it for fancy people uh, and, and for impressive people as well as for what they do and uh and shows like murder she Wrote kind of undercut that by saying well you know people who aren't fancy are also smart
0: that was i mean that was Columbo. Columbo was a, a police detective i think by okay. by profession but he was like schlubby and kind of like his his thing was like he was in los angeles and his the the they were fancy people who he whom he was yes, investigating yes, you yes. know and so that even though even though he had uh what de jure authority uh i suppose like he he was you know i don't know he if you if you think of it as a uh, as a kind of a, an intersecting set of of uh dynamics um very often the salient cleavage was that he was uh, you know he was a schlubby working class guy and the people yeah. he was investigating was were um uh, you know were wealthy uh or or famous or both
1: so so what you're saying is that murder she wrote was 13 seasons of die hard
0: Thirteen, yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> However
1: long it was, the murder she wrote is Die Hard.
0: Yeah, especially when she gets the machine gun.
1: Yeah, you know? <laughs> where it's like John McClane is in the Nakatomi Building, and everyone thinks that John McClane is not capable of doing anything interesting or important because he's just a regular cop. Hmm. Um, although Angela Lansbury deals with the intersectional issue of not just being not at all a police officer <laughs> and also like, yes, a woman, but also like not in any way professionally qualified to be dealing with murderers, right? Except it being what a murder, a murder mystery writer. Right. Um, is that the original one of those? I feel like that's a story I've heard a bunch of times, but it's probably just people who watch murder. She wrote, right?
0: That Angela Lansbury actually wrote all uh, mystery novels.
1: That the person who is solving mysteries was themselves a writer of mysteries, of like murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there another show that was like that that ran for a while? that I'm, I'm blanking on it in like the 2000s. Um, probably not. But at any rate, I'm wondering. Also, what about that? What's the deal with that song? Should we settle that once and for all? You know what, the song I'm talking about?
0: That murder, she wrote. Yeah, murder, murder she, wrote. she wrote.
1: What is that song? What song is that and why are they talking about murder, she wrote? Wow. Um, it is a, it is by Chaka Demas and pliers from the 1993 album. Tease me. Uh, it is, oh, it's about abortion. Um, oh goodness. Let's see. I'm glad I'm not glad to ask that question. Uh, just because it, it doesn't end up being amusing. Um, best song interpolations have been interpolated on Omarion, the song is about death and the views of many in Jamaican culture regarding abortion. Uh, he wrote the song reflecting on being the age of 19. He was dating a girl who told him she was pregnant, but after six months, there was no sign of pregnancy. Um, got it, got it, got it. The song title came from the detective series "Murder She Wrote," which was a TV show that he used to watch and was a fan of. Well, see, there you go. There's the nice thing <laughs> <laughs> that the guy who wrote the "Murder She Wrote" song was. We can confirm from Wikipedia a fan of "Murder She Wrote." Yep, which uh, just shows you the reach that Angela Lansbury had in uh, connecting with people all over the world.
0: Dance, you know, from from "Attend the Tale of Sweeney Todd" down to uh,
1: you know Jamaican dancehall music, right? It was. Uh, yeah. Um, few, few people can play the grand empress and her teapot at the same time right <laughs> as far as there's a picture did you ever see mame no it's
0: you know it's funny it's a musical that i know nothing about in the source material i don't really know anything about
1: yeah it's one of those things where i've heard about it and heard about it and heard about it and as i've been perusing angela lansbury related media i came across oh it's like a broadway and west end musical that starred angela lansbury and b arthur in like the sixties and how have I never heard about this? And it was made into a Lucille ball movie. And this is the kind of thing where it's like, you know, kids today, someone will say, I've never seen star Wars. And it's like, you must be crazy. <laughs> like it just, it feels like, or even stuff like, you know, I don't know what, you know, uh, what, uh, just shoot me is, or like, you know, I'm trying to think of something a lot of people watched back in the day that doesn't feel too long back in the day for me, but for everybody else, Uh, who's younger than me, it's like, I don't know or care about what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, something like Babylon 5, right? Like, yeah, Babylon 5, what? What are you talking about? I've never heard of this thing you're talking about. But but it seems like it must have been a big deal because one of the things I was looking at, now I'm looking at the entry for um, the open source emulator which is not what I'm talking about. Uh, There's a picture in the main Wikipedia page of B. Arthur and Angela Lansbury standing next to each other. And it's in 1989 at the Emmys, uh, and it's it's well after they did the show together. They did the show together in in the 60s, uh, and then it was revived on Broadway in the 80s. And and looking at B. Arthur and Angela Lansbury next to each other is like pretty potent. Uh, <laughs> and Angela of- Lansbury is the more potent one. That's that's kind of what's really interesting about you it. You have a
0: lot like, of you lot of, have a lot of 80s feelings.
1: <laughs> I, well, it just it's just that there's a that's a lot of. That's a lot of uh shoulder pad power. That's uh that is sort of sort of um that's just a lot of, that's some bossy women. Those are some boss ladies right there. Those are some Yas queens, right? Yep. Those are those are people that Harvey Feisteen would say are everything,
0: and, right? And those those two women in that picture are younger than Khloe Kardashian is today. Really? No, that's not true. <laughs>
1: But I think what it tells
0: us about the Kardashians is true.
1: She was 64 years old.
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. What I said was false. And I knew it was false when I said it, but I said it to make a point. And I think the point is, uh, is still valid though. Uh, you know, I don't know. We're holding on to it though. Uh, uh, though the facts are false.
1: Right, right, right. Which was something, yeah, that you were telling me about regarding Stuart, your favorite comedian Stuart Lee, right? Yes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Who has yeah. a
0: new uh a new uh two two new hours of comedy out that were uh released on the BBC and you gotta find them off the back of a truck if you wanna see him in the United States. Yeah. Um
1: now did yeah. you Oh sorry, have you watched any of that? So one one thing that Angela Lansbury is the queen of, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, not entirely staged, like plain clothes staged singings of musical theater that happen for like high profile charity events, mm. right? Like, uh, I feel like you know what you know the kind of thing that I'm talking.
0: Absolutely, about.
1: every once in a while it'll show up on TV, and uh, whether it's the Kennedy Center or whether it's uh some again some charity event having to do with Broadway in some way. Or, well, there's or a
0: whole. I mean, there's it's it's a kind of alternative way of getting to. Broadway now, right? Like there there was a production of Into the Woods this year, Broadway production of Into the Woods that started as a like Encores at City Center uh or something. I'm I'm probably forgetting the, the rest of the thing. It's just so damn expensive to mount a musical that you need to, you know, I don't know, you need to like test the idea in a much lower stakes way. Um and with it with existing material, I guess you can do it like that. You can do you know, I don't know, company with Stephen Colbert or whatever, like, uh, uh with actors at microphones, you know, looking, looking flat out at the audience. And that's, uh, like that's, it's just, an, it's become just kind of an alternative development process for things. But yeah, very often, uh, they're done for, they're done for like some kind of big gala, some big gala charity thing. It would have to be like a national stature charity. If you're pulling talent on the level
1: of Angela Lansbury. Right. Yeah, yeah, I would I would assume so. Um, and so she would just bring the heat at those performances. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to like think about all of the ways in which she just sort of pulled rank, but not, she didn't do it. On, it's like it was like effortless for her to just be commanding. So I never thought of her as commanding attention or as, uh, you know, kind of demanding respect. Like it just seemed so effortless, but it's I don't know whether whether that was just that's just the trick right that's the uh that's the trick of making it look easy um so okay here here's an interesting angela Lansbury uh thing to go down um probably more than anybody, she should probably have an EGOT, right mm. but doesn't interesting. So, so I want to review. Let's let's do a little bit of, of uh, reviewing here of the Angela Lansbury EGOT case mm-hmm. and what's messed up about it. So first of all, she has an Oscar, uh, mm-hmm. but it's an honorary Oscar, right? Um, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress three times over a 20-year stamp, 18-year uh, uh, uh stint, but she got the honorary award, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you would think that there are probably other times where, in retrospect, given how much her work has endured versus that of her contemporaries, one of those kinds of things where maybe if she had made more movies closer to the end, they would have found something to uh, to nominate to give her an award for. But she just she doesn't even didn't even really seem in that game. That didn't really seem to be her thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, but she has an Oscar, even though it's an honorary Oscar. She was so. You know, but wait the the
0: so the the nominations were for Gaslight. Uh, yes, the picture of Dorian Gray. Yes. also is a very young woman. Uh, yeah, nineteen forty-five, so twenty. Yeah. and uh, and a decade and a half later in the Manchurian Candidate.
1: Right. Exactly. Okay. Um. And so she is a dame, of course. So, like, what are I mean, some other things she could have been nominated for? She could have, if if it had happened today, she might have been probably would have been nominated for Beauty and the Beast, right? But they didn't nominate people for that kind of thing back then. Um. You know, and she's been in a whole bunch of stuff. She's been nominated. Angela Lansbury never won an Emmy award which is nuts so she was nominated for 18 Emmy awards and she won, she was nominated for lead outstanding lead actress in a drama series 12 consecutive times for every single season of murder she wrote and every single time she lost wow (laughs) now this is this is from 1985 so this is like the 1984 1985 season this was by the way her third nomination for an emmy was for the first season of murder she wrote um through to 1996 uh during that time uh the people who won outstanding uh lead actress in a drama series include Uh, oh, it's, it's, uh, is it Tyne Daly and yeah, it's like, it's the Cagney and Lacey. It's Cagney and Lacey just dominated, crushed. She won three times, uh, Tyne Daly, Sharon Gless from Cagney and Lacey. They're all Cagney. It's Cagney and Lacey for like seven straight years. Wow. And then, uh, what, I don't know what China beach is. China Um, Beach
0: is an early John Wells show who went on to make ER and uh, the West Wing and
1: um, Shameless. And then and then through to 96, the the only other one who repeats is Kathy Baker from Picket Fences, which is probably deserved. Mm. Uh, Oh, no. Patricia Wedding from 30 something. There's there's a show that at the time felt like a big deal that I felt has completely vanished from the face of the earth. Like there was no there were no jokes when I was in my 30s. About the show Thirty Something, and I felt like that was very much in currency. Do we do we need to talk about Ozymandias? (laughs) So, what I'm saying, yes, there are two (laughs) legless. There's there's uh, two trunkless legs of stone that stand in the desert, and uh, one of those legs belongs to Ken Olin, (laughs) 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 and the other one is for Mel Harris. Um but yes so Angela Lansbury was nominated and, and they
0: they're trunkless because the the trunk is in uh is in a closet in a hotel room in the Poconos and there's a body in it. <laughs>
1: So like yes, so the entire time that Murder She Wrote was on TV, and I know this isn't necessarily the most. This is a little. We're we're doing a little detective work here. We're sometimes, trying to figure it, right, out.
0: right we're, and we're doing we're doing it live because yes. you know we. But uh, and sometimes Pete, she was nominated twice in the same year for a Tony Award, uh, for a, an Emmy Award because she performed on the Tony Awards yes. <laughs> at the same time. So like yes. uh, in 1987 and in 19 again in 1990, she performed on the first and uh 41st and 43rd respectively tony award telecast yes. and was nominated for uh performance in a variety program for yes. those appearances so she had two bites at the apple and still uh still didn't win an emmy so that's she had, uh she had yeah
1: two years where she was nominated for two emmys <laughs> in totally different fields they last you could tell they really wanted to give it to her in 2005 when she was nominated for guesting on lord order svu uh what is it s svu trial by jury yes (laughs) yeah
0: this that's that's like the year when lauren bacall was nominated for for an oscar
1: Oh. uh, and didn't didn't win as i recall Yeah. And then the Tonys, she just knocked it out of the park. She's she's got uh, six Tonys. Uh, She only she only she's nominated for for. uh, Oh, she won five competitive ones and she has a Lifetime Achievement Award. And that's for Mame, for Dear World, for Gypsy, for Sweeney Todd and for uh, Blythe Spirit. Is it weird to think. That I think it's strange that Ber- that, um, that Bernard Peters. There it goes again. Because again, there's the connection is Sondheim, right? Yeah, is that they're both Sondheim actresses? There's sure. also Sondheim. You know, it's weird to think that the actress for Murder She Wrote was like a, the go-to Sondheim actress. Sure, right? Because it's and I mean and that explains the sort of where she is with um, with Harvey Firestein. Because yeah, I mean I think of Sondheim's musicals as deliberately anti um uh what is i guess How would i say it not anti-establishment but anti anti-video <laughs> i think of sondheim as an anti-video musical writer in that like the musicals his musicals are seem to specifically seem to be resisting the pull of telling the kinds of stories that would be happening in tv and movies mm-hmm. um, and also the kind of music that you would see in movies or tv like, like I feel like it's just complicated enough and just alienating enough that it belongs very much in the theater in the in the time period, but not so complicated or alienating that it belongs uh, in theater that costs less than a hundred dollars, <laughs> at least nowadays, right? Um, but uh, I mean, again, I, I love, I love. We could talk about Sondheim as a whole other thing, but it's weird to think of Angela Lansbury, the Sondheim muse, as one of the. I mean, it's it's insulting to her to call her the muse because. Uh, for all intents and purposes, she's probably better at doing what she was doing than Sondheim wasn't doing what he was doing. Um, it's probably they're probably it's their peers. Right. It's it's uh, it's hard to say which one was better than the other. But the point being that, like, she knocked it out of the park at the Tony's. She was shafted by the Emmys for an inexplicably long period of time to the extent that, like, she is such a classy lady that you never heard of any sort of anger as far as I could tell or disgust at having to go to this event every year.
0: You know, yeah. And it's so funny because like, I'm sure it was because Murder, She Wrote was considered down market, you know, Mm -hmm. somehow like versus the, what the prestige television of Cagney and Lacey, I think China beach was supposed to, uh, you know, was supposed to have been artistically interesting and, and, um, uh, 30 something definitely was, but the, the, uh, you know but like she was freaking na- like you know it's um you mentioned Stuart Lee before and i just uh i'm i'm reminded of a uh, of a stuart lee joke where he says uh he says um uh they asked the bbc asked me to to host the the culture show which is their like you know pbs style uh i don't know like a, a, a pbs style program about Cultural topics and things like this. And it's like, I am culture. I, I am the culture show. And, and, uh, and Angela Lansbury, it's also like, I am the, the, the classy, like I'm a Broadway star, you know, not the, but I, I guess I don't know. We, th- we, I, I think of maybe, maybe less so now with like jukebox musicals and things like that. But I think of, of Broadways being in a higher level of sophistication than maybe even prestige television. But there, there was a, uh, there was a time where that definitely wasn't true and that was a, an era that that Angela Lansbury was was involved in Broadway and I mean uh, you know I don't know Sondheim even like parodies it in um in uh Merrily right and Merrily we roll along the the um the like the agent or uh, Broadway producer character played originally by Jason Alexander uh, talks does this kind of thing where it's you. You can hear Sondheim like kind of parodying uh every criticism that he's ever that he's ever had. Where the the lyric is like, "There's not a tune you can hum. There's not a tune you go bump da dum da dum. You need a tune that you go bump da dum da dum. Give me a melody. Why can't you throw him a crumb? What's wrong with letting them tap their toes a bit? I'll let you know when Stravinsky has a hit. Give me some melody. And that's you know. That, that like, uh, that was the, like him kind of declaring his, his, uh, his, uh, not countercultural, not necessarily anti-establishment, but kind of outsider bona fides, right? Like that, like he, he's on the side of, he's on the side of Stravinsky. And it's so funny that, that, that Angela Lansbury like lived on the side of that, like that artsiness of, you know, of Sweeney Todd, which is an opera score. Mm-hmm. uh which is like really like challenging singing and like also not a a lot of it like really demands it, maybe doesn't demand really benefits from like some musical education from listening to it you know uh and and appreciating it um what went, went from that to like this this super mass market broad appeal uh TV show um TV show like like Murder She Wrote now you know, we don't mention her P. Oh, sorry. Are we fin? I was about to change. The no, subject. I wanted
1: to finish it up. I'll just finish it up, which is that we already saw that she of course won many Tonys. Yep. She has a, uh, she has the, uh, Emmy. Uh, she has no Emmys. Right. And she has an Academy award, right. That's, that's honorary. I think was that, was that what it was? Um, sorry. Yes. So let me go through it again. Cause I lost my track. Yes. She has an honorary Academy award. She has many Tonys She was screwed by the Emmys inexplicably for many, many years. And she – there is a cluster of bullets around her Grammy that she should have had Uh (laughs) because because the song Beauty and the Beast, which of course you know she sings in the movie and is sung on the – was sung on the radio by Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson. So no slouches, right? But when you think of who sings that song, I mean – for every time I've heard of Peebo Bryson's name mentioned at all, Angela Lansbury singing Beauty and the Beast has come up like 20 times over the course of the last 10 years. So no insult to Peebo Bryson, but like I think a lot of people think of Beauty and the Beast as, as a song that Angela Lansbury sings in the Beauty and the Beast movie. Um, Beauty and the Beast won two Grammys. It won. It, it, it was nominated for Song of the Year, and it didn't win. It was nominated for Best Pop Performance by a Duo with Vocals or Group and won and and the Peabo Bryson Celine Dion version won that it was it was nominated for a Grammy award for best song written for visual media and it won but the award for song written for visual media doesn't give an award to the performing artist mm. It only gives the award to the composer. So, uh, and that's, of course, Howard Ashman, who we talked about on the podcast recently because he also, uh, well, because he had that documentary on. Yep. Um,
0: but on he's, this is an interesting thing about the Grammys, Pete. Like the Grammys are split. Well, the, 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 in, in tres partes divisa est, right? Because I think there are also like technical. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, technical Grammys, but, um, there are the, there are the songwriter Grammys, right? And then there are the practitioner Grammy or the, the, yeah. the performer Grammys. And it's like the difference between like album of the year, uh, album of the year, song of the year and record of the year, you mm-hmm. know, are, are three different, are three different things. Um, and that's, that's, uh, uh two for like songwriters or producers or one for songwriters and and two for producers i think um that wow i'm looking at uh i'm looking at this year the the 35th grammy awards um held in in 93 and uh the big winner right uh was tears in heaven from <laughs> from I should laugh but from unplugged Yes, uh, from yes, the yes. you know the MTV Eric Clapton special, and that's uh, that's interesting.
1: Now, if if you can in, in tw- my brain, by the way, you were going to say, and the big winner was here come the Hot Steppers, <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't the year for it. But it's like it was going to be something that was just going to really insult Angela Lansbury again. It was like, yeah, the big winner that year was. Uh, you know, Sex and Candy <laughs> <laughs> by Marcy Playground. <laughs> by Marcy you know? Playground, and you know Angela Lansbury can do a lot, but you can't compete with that tarantula, <laughs> that music video. <laughs> so, like, here's
0: you know, here's here's people who won a Grammy that year that weren't Angela Lansbury, yeah. right? Eric yeah. Clapton, obviously. Sure. Um, Tom Waits, Stevie sure. Ray Vaughan, okay. Doctor John, the New Orleans okay. piano player, uh, Alan Mencken and Howard Ashman.
1: Yup you know for the song uh, she sang, yep but not uh, her
0: leonard bernstein
1: oh <laughs> one, one. I- i'm sure they got drunk together after the show <laughs> uh yo-yo ma okay of course emmanuel axe uh
0: okay. yo-yo ma again okay right um uh, uh mary chapin carpenter <laughs> vince gill okay Sorry, it's by it's by genre so here are all the country ones yeah. Lou harris okay uh, Travis Tritt, okay. Vince Gill again. Vince Gill again? No, <laughs> no. He was too young. He was too. Yes, he was in college at the time. I think. Uh, the Chieftains, the trad Irish band.
1: Okay. Uh, the Chieftains again. The Chieftains won two <laughs> Grammy awards in 1993, and Angela Lansbury, who had the best song of the year, won zero.
0: This is. I mean, this is. Look, it's a travesty on the scale of, uh, of like Charlie, uh, Charlie Puth and, you know, of, uh, Yes. What's it, it called? Is. What's the song called? I can't think of the title. See you t- again. See you again. When yes. I see uh, thinking it's been a yes. long time or long time without you, my friend. But no, it's yeah. called See You Again. This yes. is a, a travesty on the order of See You Again. Yes. Not winning uh, best song. Not even being
1: no, not even being nominated for best song at the Oscars at the Oscars. Figure, despite being like the number one song of all time, briefly in like online traffic. Yeah. <laughs> and, like uh, the number one song for much of the year. Yes. The despite regular-
0: being the best song, it was yes, not. Despite nominated- being the
1: best song. Despite Wiz Khalifa, of course. Now I would have watched the Wiz Khalifa Angela Lansbury collab, but they can't all be Snoop Dogg and uh Martha Stewart. And also you know, Angela Lansbury never went to prison.
0: It's um it's uh I'm I'm going to make another nomination Pete. We don't we don't really talk about um uh Angela Lansbury in the same rarefied air that we talk about like Tilda Swinton, you know, and right. uh and Keanu Reeves. Uh right. you know, actors who work. Um, but, uh, just as I made a nomination when we saw, uh, WandaVision, that really Catherine Hahn belongs in the, the rarefied firmament of, uh, of actors who work. Um, Angela Lansbury, like, is, is just owning it. Like, she's, she's almost the, 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 the patron of, of actors who work and now the patron saint of yes. uh in, in of like the in
1: the epic Terzarima rima poem about going through yes. the like celestial afterlife of yes. artists angela lansbury like holds some form of key in some sort of uh special realm right she is a she's a planetar right, right? She's- <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it's like or or the the great um the great simile
1: about virgil
0: in uh dante's inferno right like uh the, in the divine comedy, he talks about Virgil is like, Virgil, uh, lived before Christ and so could not be saved. But, right. um, but he, he said he walked like one holding a lantern on a, on a stick behind him, you know, like on a rod over his shoulder. Uh, and by his light, you know, we were led. And so even though he couldn't see the light, uh, being born before Christ and, you know, condemned to, to purgatory or something like that, um, he walked like one holding a lantern, uh, a lantern behind him and uh and uh, Angela Lansbury similar like w- walking someone holding a torch or a flashlight uh p- just pointing back over her shoulder until suddenly she swings it around forward and there's a dramatic sting of music and it's a corpse in the closet falling <laughs> out <laughs> it was a murder yes. she wrote all right <laughs> Let's leave it, uh, let's leave it there, Pete. Thank you for, uh, for going on this, this rambling journey to appreciate Angela Lansbury, uh, Angela Lansbury with me. I, I feel like I, uh, I, I bore her on my shoulders and, uh, held you in my hands (laughs) and walked away, um, uh, walked away from the burning city, uh, and, uh, into my, my journey to found a new, A new home, uh, the home of overthinking it. Let's, uh, let's leave it there. Thanks very much, Pete. And thanks everyone who, who listened. And thanks, thanks, Angela Lansbury, for, uh, for so many decades of, of what you brought to, uh, to all of us. Uh, it's, it's not yet been, it's, it's been a short time without you, my friend. Uh, but it will get longer. And we will t- we will tell you all about it when we uh, when we see you again. All right, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, visit. Uh, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking Podcast. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. I think I did like three endings there.
1: Yes, I think he did. It was like the, the, well, she gets the platinum director's cut of the podcast, right? <laughs> and now we go back to the scouring of the Shire. <laughs> and did she, ever, did she ever do Lord of the Rings or any sort of high fantasy thing? I don't think,
0: right? Um, no, I don't think it was. I, no, I don't think she she ever did. Man, she would have been. Uh, she would have been a great guest star on Star Trek: The Next Generation.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess Gypsy counts as high fantasy, though. <laughs>